Hello and welcome into Airing It Out, a Penn State football podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Josh Moyer. Josh, how's it going? Hey, so far so good, John. Uh, we got a little oasis uh, of football coming up. XFL starts Saturday. Are you psyched? I couldn't be less psyched. That league will be dead by March. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I mean, I'll enjoy it while it's li- while it's alive. Uh, I think uh, I think we all do, and then it trickles away, and we all forget about it. That's how these things go. Hey, Matt McGloin is is on a team. I mean, that's something worth watching at least. Uh, yeah. So I guess I guess I I think he plays for the New York Gladiators. I think that's a team. Um, so yeah. I think that's my XFL team now. You you could make up any any name for a team, and I would believe you. I have not the slightest clue about these XFL. I do know the Seattle Dragon, Dragons. I will say that. I don't know why, but that's one that I know. Uh, but anyways, let's move on to some Penn State football here. Of course, I'm sure our listeners have noticed we were not on the air last week, uh, and that is going to be the plan here moving forward. We'll be doing this once every other week. I really don't want to put out content for you guys that isn't really worth listening to when there's not a lot going on. Uh, We want to, you know, have, have valuable content every time we record. And, you know, I think this is probably going to be the best way to do that. So, you know, for the off season, uh, expect to hear us once every other week uh, and usually around midweek sometime. It's not always going to be consistent me covering Penn State basketball and and preps and everything. It can switch things up, but you know, we'll, we'll be getting one out at least once every other week. Quality over cut. Uh, excuse me, quality over quantity. That's what I'm trying to say here, Sauber. Exactly. That's uh, that's what we're all looking for. But let's let's get this episode rolling with uh, with the seemingly the news of the week and the most recent news that occurred, and that's Ricky Slade entering the transfer portal. Uh, I think you and I both expected a running back to go, and he seemed to be like the most logical one, even though everyone was adamant he was going to say, and including us at points. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on Slade transferring, and what does this mean for Penn State? Uh, it doesn't mean a whole lot for Penn State. I mean, I think that's the the, the thing with 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 this news. Uh, uh, he let me backtrack a, a little bit. Ricky Slade in December, he he swore to reporters he was all about returning to Penn State, and obviously something changed along the way. But but he was very adamant. He was very sincere. And, and let me just read this quote. Um, you know that he told the Athletics Audrey Snyder. This is this is from Ricky Slade um, in late December. Quote. For me, I don't want to go anywhere else. I love Penn State. I love the school. I love the football. I want a degree from here. I'm enjoying my time here, and they're enjoying their time here. Uh, of course, he was referring to the other running backs, but, you know, and he also said, quote, we're in this thing together until the end. Well, uh, the end came a little bit sooner than, than uh, a lot of people thought, but um, I, I don't know for sure what changed here, John, but what I do know is that James Franklin and the coaching staff after the season, meet with every player, talk about the future, talk about where they are in the depth chart. And I've got to assume, yes, I am speculating here, but I've got to assume that Ricky Slade likely heard something there that he wasn't a big fan of. And when you look at the depth chart, again, this is a transfer that, that, that makes a lot of sense. This isn't something that's going to hurt Penn State or, or harm their chances or, or, or take away a win next year. Um, you know, Ricky Slade, obviously, he was a former five-star prospect. He was the number one rated all-purpose back in 2018. But um, despite beginning the season as the starter this past year in 2019, it, he just never made an impact. Journey Brown passed him on the depth chart, and, and pretty soon he was, he was the last running back on the depth chart. I mean, it was pretty clear who the weakest runner of the four were, even though two were true freshmen. And that was Ricky Slate. He was indecisive in the game against Minnesota. He had the worst average, the worst yards um, among the four scholarship running backs. And if you look at his touches, he was sixth on the team. Will Levis had more carries 
than Ricky Slade did, and Levis played in seven games. So, uh, I mean, listen, I think this this makes a lot of, of sense for Slade. I think it's pretty clear that, um, you know, he loved Penn State. He was a Penn State guy. And I think if Penn State really needed him, if Penn State was going to, you know, give him some touches, you know, that he would have stayed. But obviously, this is kind of a mutual parting of the ways. And, hey, I mean, I, I do kind of wonder, again, more speculation here, John, but Old Dominion? I mean, could he be reunited with, with Ricky Watt, Ronnie? Or is that is that too, you know, going from five-star to Old Dominion, is that too much of a drop-off? Yeah, I, I have to think he would he would find some Power 5 interest, even if it's not, you know, a, a high-level, you know, playoff contender Power 5 team. You know, he's he's from Virginia. Like, I, I'm not going to speculate. I don't. I genuinely don't know where he's going to end up. But, you know, obviously schools like Virginia and, and Virginia Tech uh, are, you know, near where he's from and and in his home state so they're they're reasonable options to speculate on I I genuinely don't know uh it'll be interesting to see where he lands because I do think he's talented but he's he's not uh he was not going to get the touches that I think he wanted and I'm I'm sure that played a role in in his departure uh as you said uh the the postseason meetings tend to sort of uh open these things up and allow guys to to really understand where they are in the depth chart where they're viewed at uh on the team and and quite frankly, there was a chance that he was going to be the sixth running back next year. I'm not saying there's a great chance. He's probably going to start at four. But with Keziah Holmes presenting a similar skill set at a younger age and a little bit more versatility, there's a chance he was getting passed up there. Yeah. And with Kevon Lee providing a more valuable skill set, uh, I think there's a chance he could have gotten passed up there. Uh, so this makes all the sense in the world for Slade to move on. Uh, Penn State is not going to, uh, to lose a lot by losing Slade. Like I said, I think Holmes can replace him pretty directly. I don't know that there's, uh, there's any drop-off in talent there, even though Holmes is younger and has less experience. I, I think he's better in the open field than Slade was. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, Journey Brown is really, really good. Uh, and I think that's what matters here. And he's likely going to be Penn State's lead back. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be. Uh, he was fantastic down the stretch against some really good opponents. And, and, you know, he showed what he's capable of. He's big, he's strong, he's fast. He's everything you really want in a running back. He can make plays in the open field. Um, do you think this, you know, sort of impacts the workload the other three main guys will get this year? Well, it's hard to say that because it depends how much playing time and how ready the two freshman running backs are. Uh, but with Ricky, I think the best case scenario for him was that he was probably going – the best case scenario was that he begins the season number three on the depth chart because Journey Brown, after one of the most dazzling – bowl performances by a Penn State individual in, in Penn State history. Uh, yeah, he, he's the he's the starter. And Noah Kane, you know, he was injured, but we've seen what he can do. He's definitely got to be the number two. And, you know, to, to hear, uh, you know, J1 Sider talk about Devin Ford, you know, it's like he's a superstar in the making. So, I mean, it, they've got so much firepower. Yeah, you know, yeah, Slade was going to get lost. And uh, if anything, I thought, Maybe he was going to stay, you know, talking to other reporters. Penn State clearly needs help in the receiver game. Uh, you know, Slade does have good hands, caught a number of balls. Was Hey, maybe he had a future home in the slot there. Um, but but obviously that's not the case. And and what is it? Is it Keziah Holmes? Is he more of the all-purpose guy who could who'd maybe take the slot? I see John Sauber, you're nodding, which, all right, I, I don't know if that's going to work too well on the podcast, but. Hey, you can see me. They can, you, can, you can convey that one. <laughs> But yeah, no, I think I think Holmes does have a chance to directly replace Slade's production uh, and and should be better as a receiver. Uh, I mean, the, the miscue that I always think about with with Ricky Slade and the play that I'm sure a lot of people will remember him for is is one you mentioned and or you alluded to at least with the the indecisiveness yeah. uh, in, in Minnesota. There's a two point conversion attempt he had uh, in the easy uh, two point conversion 
catches the pass for whatever reason. I, I think he cut it outside when he had an easy inside lane, stared, stared two defenders in the face and went out of bounds. I mean, it's, there's a really, really bad decision that had a big impact on that game and, you know, sort of, uh, said a lot of things moving forward, you know, who knows what happens with the coaching staff, even if they win that game, or do they make the playoff if they win that game? It changed a lot. Uh, and, you know, it, it clearly changed a lot with Slade too, because we didn't see much of him the rest of the way. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think Penn State's going to lose a whole lot here. I do think this is best for everybody involved. You know, I hope he finds success wherever he goes. Uh, he was know, a nice kid. I yeah. mean, he, he's not a punk. He, he didn't seem to be, uh, you know, that big of a troublemaker, uh, you know. So, you know, it, it's always unfortunate when you see guys like that leave. But I think it's one of those things, you know, everybody saw coming kind of except for Slade. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. And and I, I honestly thought it was kind of surprising to hear him really, really committed to the university uh, up until basically the announcement yesterday. Uh, of course, we're recording here on Thursday. Uh, Slate announced on Wednesday afternoon after we spoke with James Franklin and, and the three new assistant coaches, which we'll get to here soon. But I, you know, I, I think uh, I think it's interesting that it was sort of that late that he decided to announce it after, you know, insisting that he was going to be back, that he that he wanted to be at Penn State. Like you said, I would have to assume there was a meeting that was held and he realized he wasn't going to get the playing time that he thought he wouldn't, and he didn't really have a choice. Uh, you know, Penn State's getting closer and closer to that, uh, that number of 85 scholarships. I think they're at 89 uh, at, at this point. They're going to, you know, probably see four more departures. We don't really know where those will come from, uh, but it's something to watch moving forward. It's something that uh, – doesn't have to play out right away. Spring practice can take place, and then these guys can move on, uh, and that will allow for more of a sample size so they can see where they're at. Uh, but we'll see. You know, it's going to be interesting to watch moving forward. The, the 89, does that include uh, DJ Brown's announcement that he's going to the transfer portal? Uh, it might be I, – I can't remember if it does. It's either 88 or 89. 88 uh, or 89. Yeah, okay. so either way, three to four players uh, that, that Penn State is going to see move on between now and the start of uh, the start of next season. And it'll be interesting. I, I think there are some positions that you look at, obviously. Uh, you know, I, I thought there would be D-line movement. We already saw Daniel Joseph move on. Uh, thought there would be running back movement. Now we see Slade move on. Thought D.J. Brown was a, a likely candidate given his lack of playing time and, and that he'd been passed over by everyone on the depth chart. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, then are there any spots you're watching in particular for, for someone that could be moving on? You don't you know, necessarily have to give names, but just positions where it's a little crowded right now? You know, maybe this is kind of uh, counterintuitive, but but a part of me wonders if there's anyone from receiver just because you have that, you know, you have all those guys kind of, uh, there's almost kind of a clog there, you know, on the depth chart. You know, if, if someone doesn't separate himself or maybe slides all the way back after the spring, you know, could we see someone else there? Again, that's just, you know, what, what jumps into mind right away. I don't know if you have, you know, any positions in mind. I mean, certainly maybe after, you know, Spence leaving, maybe there's someone on the defensive line. Uh, but, you know, again, it's all speculation at this point. But, you know, I'm, I'm not ready to put the, the Twitter alerts on Shane Simmons quite yet. But, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll see maybe if, uh, you know, defensive line, if there's any movement as well. Yeah, I think wide receiver is a good spot to watch. Uh, a lot of young guys, and if you get passed over by a guy in your class or multiple guys in your class, it's, you know, the writing seems to be on the wall at that point. Uh uh, of course, we've got Mac Hippenhammer playing baseball this spring. We'll see how that goes. It's another spring where he's not with the team for spring ball. It's it's tougher to you know find a role if if you know you're not there. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, I, I think you know he's making the right decision for himself and playing baseball. He's actually good at baseball and one of Penn State's best players, which isn't saying much given the Penn State baseball program standing uh, nationally. But 
but still, you know, good for him deciding to do what he wants to do from that standpoint. Uh, but yeah, D line something to watch too. These uh, these coaching changes can, are. Can I just stop? That was the most backhanded like compliment I've ever heard you give on the podcast. <laughs> like Hippenhammer, you know, he's the best player, but they're not very good. You well, know, he's good. Good he's for him. Good. Yeah, he, he's <laughs> hey, he's good. It's just the rest of the team that seems to be the issue. Uh, but no, I I think the D line is a, an excellent place to watch uh, now that Sean Spencer is left and. And, you know, we may as well start talking about that now. Uh, that is obviously the departure that I don't think a lot of us saw coming. Uh, you know, we broke yeah. the news uh, last – I think it was last Friday. Days really blended together last week. I was up through the night on that one. It was not an enjoyable experience. I wouldn't recommend it. But, uh, you know, we broke that Friday morning, I think. You, you could have been Thursday. It could oh. have been Monday. I oh, know. you. There's no we. That was all John Sauber. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it was uh, – it was, uh, you know – a, a pretty big surprise. Uh, a guy that has had an immense amount of success in the college ranks, uh, seemed to be beloved by his players, uh, and, and seemed to have a uh, you know a really good relationship with those players based on their Twitter reactions and how people were reacting when reacting when he uh, when it was broken that he decided to leave. Um, so, how do you think this impacts the team this year and then sort of moving forward a little bit, looking past the twenty twenty season? I don't think we'll be able to fully gauge just how much it impacts the team this year until we see who replaces him. And obviously that's going to play a huge role because if there was one coach on this team that you didn't want to see leave, if you're a Penn State fan, it had to be Spence. I mean, he was the guy, you know, he was kind of the, the, the rock star coach. I mean, if you saw the, uh, the HBO special, he's there on his motorcycle with the music in the background and, you know, he was an outgoing guy who was a great recruiter, great coach, had a proven track record, was loyal to James Franklin. Um, he, he, he was their best assistant coach, I mean, by far. And, I, I, I mean, part of me wonders if, it, if you had to pick between Brent Pry and, you know, Spence, uh, uh, I'd probably say, I mean, honestly, it might have been in their best interest for, for Pry to leave over Spence. That's nothing to take away from Pry. It's just that Spence was that good. And, I mean, you look at – what Penn State's strength has been since James Franklin's been here. And almost every season, it's been the defensive line. The depth there has been incredible. The talent has been great. Um, you know, you just can't say enough good things about it. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how he's going to fare with the New York Giants. But I, I just don't think we're going to know the impact until we know uh, who that replacement is going to be. Because almost no matter who they hire, there's going to be a drop-off, especially when you've got to do your hiring in February. But, you know, again, I, I think James Franklin did a, a solid job at offensive coordinator. I, I think he did a, you know, good job at offensive line, especially after listening to, you know, Troutwine talk the other day. And, you know, so we'll see what he's got in his bag of tricks. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think we need to see the hire before we know the instant impact. But I, I think the impact could be felt uh, in, in sort of if, if we do see a transfer from there, I think that's the, the most immediate concern that we haven't yet is a good sign for Penn State. I know it's, it's been less than a week so far, uh, but, you know, it's still a good sign that nobody has sort of jumped ship immediately after he left. Uh, there was no emotional decision made there by, by a player or anything like that. Uh, but you're right. He, he's an excellent assistant coach. Uh, I would still prefer to keep Pry over Spencer. But the, the fact that it's a conversation says a lot about how good of a defensive line coach that he is. Uh, and for he seemed to be a, uh, a genuine guy. And they weren't always recruiting at the highest, highest level on, on the defensive line, which is a bit curious. But 
you know, he, he still made an impact there. He developed guys. He turned guys into good players. Antonio Shelton being an excellent example. Robert Windsor being an excellent example. These guys who weren't heralded coming out of high school and then they ended up became, becoming very key contributors for Penn State. Uh, and now now you've got to replace that guy. Now you've got to find someone else who can uh, sort of have that high-level defensive line because it's so important to the way Brent Pry calls the defense to get pressure with that front four. If they're not getting pressure with that front four, we saw what happens towards the end of the year. The, the secondary can get shredded. These guys are going to be out on an island, not going to have a ton of help. Uh, you need to get pressure with the front four. And James Franklin's got to hire someone that can recruit at a high level and that can coach at a high level. Uh, I, I would assume that they have plenty of money available to make a decision just because uh, Sean Spencer seemingly had 500 titles uh, with his, uh, like he was, he was the run game coordinator. He was the associate head coach, I believe, and the defensive line coach. Generally speaking, you get titles added for a reason to, uh, to be given a raise, you know, because you have to sort of validate it with the university. So I, I would assume they have some money. It's just a matter of getting someone that's willing to go. It's a little bit late in the cycle for this to happen. So we'll see what happens now that signing day is over. I think I would assume that uh, we're going to have a decision sometime soon. And James Franklin said as much yesterday. But yeah, uh, you know, speaking of Franklin speaking yesterday, which was the first time since, has this been since the Cotton Bowl, Josh, that, we, that we've, we've heard from James Franklin? Yeah, you know, uh, some coaches like to do their season wrap-ups immediately after the season, you know, wraps up. Uh, James Franklin, th I, again, this was this was termed a, a – uh, it was an end-of-season wrap-up. Um, it was also – and this is from, from Penn State Athletics um, – also kind of a signing day, you know, wrap-up, and then a coach introduction. So Wednesday more or less just served as the coach introduction, which was, you know, still nice. But yeah, yeah that, that's, that's where we are. It has been the first time he's spoken uh, since the Cotton Bowl. And, and so do you have any takeaways from what Franklin himself said, uh, whether it's about the new coaches, whether it's about, you know, where the, the roster stands? I know we didn't get a ton of information, uh, but, but any thoughts on anything he said? Oh, boy, really put me on the spot here, Saber. Well, that's how we do we it. talked for 40 minutes, so I'm trying to think what stands out. And honestly, the thing to me um, is just the contract still. Uh, and, you know, James Franklin, I, you know, I did ask him about that. And, um, you know, his response was just essentially, you know, uh, don't call it a delay. It, it hasn't been delayed, even though we were expecting it to be released about three weeks ago. He said there's just been a, you know, a lot of red tape to go through, but everything's been agreed to in principle. And, um, you know, they're just kind of waiting on the lawyers to settle everything. So, um, you know, he said that should be coming out shortly. Uh, it's not like he's backing out or has cold feet. And, you know, he intimated that, you know, a, a quote unquote delay, which again, is not what he wanted to call it, um, was not the result of any lawsuits or, you know, things like that. So, um, you know, it's still unusual, uh, you know, for the Committee on Compensation to okay it December 6th, and today is February 6th, and for the lawyers to still be working on that. So, you know, I don't know what they're working on, but, um, you know, James seemed very sincere um, you know, certainly about that. So, um, you know, for me, that was the biggest takeaway. I, I think, you know, the most important part of uh, the press conference, you know, wasn't necessarily even what James Franklin said, but it was the fact that we got to hear Kirk Sharaka for the first time talk about his offensive philosophy and, and uh, you know, what his core values are. We were able to listen to Troutwine and, and why he thinks that, you know, he's the right coach to take this offensive line to the next level. And, uh, 
I'm sure, you know, Taylor Stubblefield helped explain what the hell he was thinking when he wore the Miami belt buckle. Oh, we'll get to that one. It's, it, it, I've never felt more empathetic for a coach in my entire life. Trust me. I, when I, I'll explain it here in a second. But, yeah, there was, it was definitely brought up. Uh, but, you know, we, we may as well start uh, with, with Kirk Shiraka. He is the most important hire of the offseason. Uh, it matters most. Uh, his impact matters most for this team. He's literally the offensive coordinator. The offense needs to stick, take a step up next year. Uh, you had the chance to, to be around him and listen to him speak. Uh, what, did you, what were your main takeaways from, from Kirk Shiraka yesterday? I, I thought he carried himself really well. And, and there were two things with, with Kirk Shiraka. He said that, you know, he doesn't make rash decisions, you know, that, that he carefully thinks out everything he does. And you could kind of tell that, um, you know, with his answers. You know, it, he seemed like a, a person who, who, who said what he meant. He wasn't a guy who was going to BS you. And, and, and let me tell you, you know, in this job, that's something you, you very much appreciate. Yes. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that struck me was really his, his philosophy, which sounds simple enough, but it's something that the New England Patriots and, and Bill Belichick you know, are known for, and that's you accentuate the strengths of your offense and you limit the weaknesses, which sounds super simple, and it is, but the execution of that is entirely different. And he gave an example, and that example was um, when the recruiting staff asks him what type of quarterback he goes for, um, he says he kind of ticks them off when he says this, but he replies, a good one. Oh, no, no, do you want a, a dual threat or a good one? And he right said – yeah, and, and you know, his, his, his response was, you know, whatever the player's strengths are, he's going to cater the offense to that. He's not looking to find pieces to fit his offense. He's looking for the best players, and he's going to make those pieces fit. He's going to make the offense fit the pieces and not the pieces fit the offense, if that makes sense. And, um, you know, just to kind of give that example, uh, when he was with Delaware, he had a dual threat running quarterback. And did really well with him. Andy Hall, uh, you know, hardcore uh, Philadelphia Eagles fans might remember him because he was a sixth-round pick a number of years ago, played there for two years. And obviously, he's fine with the pocket passers. Uh, Tanner Morgan from Minnesota has uh, negative six yards of career rushing, um, not exactly a dual threat. And you might remember he had quite a bit of success against Penn State last season and, and was an all-conference quarterback. So, I mean, the guy can do it all. A Western Michigan they were light on tight ends one year. So he utilized a fullback, you know, I mean, this is oh a guy, who, well, he was quick to add. <laughs> I mean, we had to follow that up, right. You know, uh, so, so does that mean, you know, you're going to have a fullback in the Penn state offense and he laughed and uh, no, he's, he's not counting on that. But, you know, again, you, you look at the personnel Penn state has, uh, they do not have a shortage of tight ends here. There are a lot of solid tight ends, but, you know, that's the thing with them. Um, you know, if they're light in one place, you know, like maybe wide receiver is not the strongest this year. He's going to find a way to, uh, you know, to make up for that. And, and another thing he said, which, which again, I was struck by uh, with his philosophy is just, you know, after spring, he looks at what everybody does and, and it's not necessarily, you know, who's improved where and all this stuff. It's what came naturally to these guys and, and what did to each individual and, and trying to, you know, shift his offense and, and call the plays. Um, to make up for that. So, I mean, honestly, listen to him talk, um, you know, I'm, uh, I, I'm really, really interested and intrigued by, by what he's going to bring to this Penn State offense in, in, you know, 2020. And I remember when Joe Moorhead came on board, I thought um, my, my bold prediction was that Penn State would be the most improved offense in the country. Cause you could just, I mean, you looked at his track record and you looked what he was talking about and he seemed like a perfect fit. And I hear Shiraka say the same thing. And 
I think Penn State, there is not a position or a coach that has been upgraded more this offseason than offensive coordinator with, with Kurt Schrocker. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. And, you know, I, I will go on the record now. And I, I overheard a little bit of the conversation yesterday. I, of course, heard the fullback comments, which immediately drew my <laughs> attention to my right where it was happening at. Uh, but I will go on the record now, and I will say that Sean Clifford or whoever's starting at quarterback at Penn State, I assume it'll be Sean Clifford. There's no reason for, for us to think it won't be, but will be the most improved position uh, in the Big Ten next year. Uh, I mean, Sharaka has been fantastic throughout his entire career at developing quarterbacks. That's what Penn State desperately needs. We didn't see a lot of progression from Clifford. Uh, and, and I think he's got a chance to take a major step next year. Uh, you know, the, the interesting thing, I think, is that he wouldn't roll out, I guess, going to a fullback or going under center or anything like that. But it's just a matter of, and you're right, this is a guy who wants to put his personnel in the best position possible to succeed. And I think that matters above all else, like you said. Uh, you know, the other, one of the other primary additions we saw this offseason was Taylor Stubblefield, of course. Uh, as the wide receivers coach, replacing Jared Parker, who left for the offensive coordinator position at West Virginia. Stubblefield was at Miami last year and was at roughly 300 places in the last uh, 10 years, uh, which you can read more about, of course, at the center, at centerdaily.com, where, where I wrote about that. And I thought it was interesting, though. He, he was asked oh, about yeah. the belt. Oh. He, he, he was asked about the belt pretty quickly. Uh, and someone asked, like, if it was – sort of indicative of you know just how many places he's been that he's forgot you know to get rid of old clothes and he's like I think you're just looking too much into it and then he explained that so he had worn the pants a few days prior the belt was in the pants and then he just put the pants on and I have done this so many times in my life that I get it like you just like the belt's already in there you're not even looking at it you throw the pants on you you, you uh, loop the belt up and you're good to go uh it, it is it is I, I can empathize deeply with him on that. Uh, one suggestion would be to wash your pants a little more often, but I get it. I wear jeans a couple of times before I clean them. Uh, but he, he was, uh, he was laughing about it. He was uh, very, uh, you know, jovial yesterday, I guess. And, and like Shiraka, pretty upfront. Uh, he did not seem like a guy who was going to mince words. He, he said what he meant. He didn't really uh, have, you know, the patience to, to, to mince his words, to sort of, uh, hype himself up or anything like that. And he was very honest. Uh, he mentioned how important stability was for him and how important it is for him to find stability at Penn State because he hasn't had it. And how that was common ground that he and Franklin found that he needed stability and Penn State needed stability at the wide receivers coach position. And with any luck, they'll have it. He went as far to say as he won't take, he already knows next year if someone calls and offers, offers him an offensive coordinator position, he won't take it. Uh. Yeah, well, I mean, again, this, this guy's been everywhere, and he's only been right. a wide receivers coach. I, I think Stubblefield has the potential to be good for Penn State. But, again, I mean, to me, that's a red flag when you've been to, what, 11 places in 13 years. You've never stayed longer than two years. Um, you know, sometimes there's been a new staff. But, you know, sometimes he, he's just essentially the contract's expired, and, and, and they don't want him around anymore. It's it, It's been an, an interesting dynamic for him. But uh, that's the thing. I don't – I don't think he's going to get an offensive coordinator position anytime soon. Right. Uh, there's certainly a power five offer, um, you know, especially even if he had three all big 10 receivers this season, he's not getting an OC offer. So, I, I mean, I think he could be around Penn state for a while just because where else do you go? If you're not going to be OC or, or head coach, you know, you're still a young guy, um, you know, wide receiver coach, to wide receiver coach, you know, unless he's pulling a Gaddis and, and moving on to Alabama, which, you know, hey, you never know. But, but yeah, I, I, I guess what I'm getting at is this, John. If, if Taylor Stubblefield is no longer with the program, 
odds are is because Penn State has fired him and, and not the other way around. Yep, I'm with you. I, I don't think he's anywhere near qualified yet to, to uh, take those jobs. But I think that was his point. He, he you know, he yeah. knows that he needs to find stability to advance his career. He was he was upfront about that, too. He needs stability for selfish reasons uh, at the end of the day to to help him improve and to help him learn and to help him become a better coach so he can become an offensive coordinator so he can become a head coach someday. Uh, and I, I think it was sort of refreshing to hear that kind of honesty that, that he, he was blunt about it. He said it was basically selfishly he wants to, you know, put himself in a position to, to move up the ranks. And to do that, he's going to have to stay at Penn State for at the very least two years, if not, you know, three or four years. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, he seems to have a, a fantastic guy to learn under in Kirk Sharaka. And so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, he uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he down the road became an offensive coordinator, but I think you're totally right. I think he's not there yet, and I don't think there's any reason to believe he will be there next year or even the year after. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see with Stubblefield. Uh, you know, he's going to get chances. The one thing we know, the, the guy can catch, you know, for a short – Yes, he can. Not even for a short time. For a few years, you know, he had the NCAA record for all-time career catches. Um, he still has the record in the Big Ten for career catches. So, I mean, he knows what he's doing on the field. Um, you know, you, you – said before that he's a great technician and, and that's what Penn State needs right now. So, you know, we'll see if he's a good fit, but um, you know, for me, uh, one place that Penn State could also use improvement um, offensive line. And, and we were both able to, to listen to what, you know, Troutwine had to say. So let me put on the host hat for a second here, John, and, and ask you, you know, what were your first impressions of the new OL coach? Uh, I thought it was interesting. I thought, you know, he, he made it clear how much he, he loved Penn State. Uh, he went while bashing Rutgers along the way, which I, I got a good <laughs> chuckle out of. Uh, he mentioned that you were not, not necessarily bashing them, but bashing definitely what they were when he was a recruit. Well, uh, well he, we, we may as well share that now because I, yeah. Yeah, that, I think that was my, my favorite part. But, but yeah, he, uh, he said uh, basically that he got offered by Rutgers and he didn't know what it was. So he didn't know where they were. He didn't know anything about Rutgers. Uh, and he did caveat it with, you know, four or five years down the road, Greg Schiano got there and, and took the job and took them to, to new heights that they hadn't seen before. But at the time he just, he had never heard of them. And he, so it was, they were really not even an option for him to root for, which I thought was, was pretty funny. And that, that played a role in him being a Penn state fan. And again, he's a South Jersey guy yes. Yes. to not know what Rutgers is. When you're from South Jersey, that's amazing. Yeah, I think it says a lot about where Rutgers was at the time and honestly where they were up until they hired Greg Schiano about a month and a half ago, two months ago, however long ago that was now. Uh, but I think he's going to be a really interesting hire. Uh, I think he's got a chance to land some really high-level guys. Uh, he seems to be a good offensive line coach. He had Boston College uh, among the best in the country. They yeah. had all five starters this past season earned some type of all-ACC honor, which is really impressive. Uh, if he can do that with this group, which is really talented, it returns three full-time starters and two part-time starters. I think we're all sort of anticipating the, the lineup to look a lot like last year with just those, those two part-time starters being full-time starters at guard, maybe a little more Caden Wallace mixed in, uh, maybe a little more Des Holmes mixed in. We'll see. But I think, I think he's got a really good unit, a veteran unit to work with. And if he can install what he wants to install – uh, and, and elevate them to the level he wants to, because that's what he, one thing he mentioned, you know, he said they were already good last year. It's his, it's his responsibility, uh, responsibility to elevate them to great. And I think that's exactly why this hire was made. I think that's why Matt Limegrover was let go. Uh, I think that that is why the decision was made. Uh, I think Limegrover did a good job at Penn state. I think Troutwine has a chance to do an excellent job at Penn state. And, and, you know, that's as good of a reason as there is to, to make a change. Yeah, you know, I'll have to agree with you there. I think Matt Lime Grover was good, but just listening to Trout Wine and seeing his track record, you know, I think Trout Wine is better. I think it's that simple. 
Yeah. And he, he's younger too. And, and you, you know, you would, you would tend to assume that would mean he's a better recruiter. It's not always the case, but it's easier to connect with, with kids when you're closer to their age. He went through the recruiting process. I want to say 16 or 17 years ago. Uh, so it wasn't all that long ago that he did it. He can relate on, on, on some things. Uh, he, he went to the university of Florida where he had immense success. He won two national championships. There was an all sec uh, offensive tackle twice, one second team, one first team, uh, grinded his way to the NFL where he spent five seasons. Uh, and James Franklin touched on that yesterday. Uh, he said, you know, he really didn't have a lot of talent out of high school. He said no disrespect to him, but he didn't have a lot of talent. He wasn't highly recruited, uh, but he found his way to Florida and he found his way to those two all SEC honors, and those two national championship teams. Uh, and then he, you know, found his way to the NFL, even though he's undrafted and, and found his way into rosters and practice squads for five seasons. So he, he knows what it takes to get there from a tactical standpoint. So once you combine the tactician aspect of it with the, the talent that he's bringing in and he has the chance to bring in, you sort of get a perfect blend of what, what a coach can, can be at his best. Uh, and, you know, that I think that's part of the hope with Stubblefield too, that, that these are guys that are, you know, such good tacticians that they can elevate the talent that's already there and bring in enough talent to elevate them to, to the highest level possible rather than getting talent and just sort of having them meet expectations. These guys can now exceed expectations. Yeah, I, you know, usually this is where I would follow up with an amazing point to build off of what you said, Sauber, but you know, I think you <laughs> summed it up pretty well there. I mean, you know, I, I do, I, I, you know, I liked the Trout one higher before I spoke to him. I like it more, you know, now that I had a chance to, to kind of hear what he was all about and you know, he explained his technique a little bit, how, you know, he's really emphasized, you know, kind of driving with the legs. He wants guys who can squat, you know, more than they bench. And, um, you know, he said that, you know, the players have, you know, bought into it so far. And, and, and yeah, I mean, it really seems like this guy's been through it all. You know, he knows what he's doing. And, you know, I think Penn State is going to be a lot better for it. I mean, the offensive line, when James Franklin got here, has been pretty well documented. It, it, it was the Achilles heel of this program for years. And it was just it was just recently starting to go from being completely terrible to being not completely terrible, to being average, to being slightly above average. John, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong here. I think they might actually be good this year. Yeah. I, I would offensive go, line. They could be one of the top groups in the, in the conference at the very least, if not the country. I mean, there's, there's a lot whoa, of upside whoa. there. And a lot. Top yeah, offensive no. line in the country whoa, this not, year, Matt? One of, one of the top groups. I did not say the top group. I, I want to be clear about that. Top 10 to 15, though, I don't think is outside the realm of possibility. Uh, with the talent level, with, you know, we see all the stars with these guys that came in in the past. And now an excellent head coach for all intents and purposes. I don't think it's that crazy for them to be top 10 to 15 in the country. I, I'm not sure the last time. I'll have to look this up. The last time Penn State has had a consensus first team all-conference selection on the offensive line. Um, I bet they get one in Rasheed Walker this year. I, I, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, I, I think that one's. Uh, I I would enjoy Rasheed Walker while while he was at Penn State. If I were a Penn State fan, I don't I don't know if la next year's the last year or the year after, but I'd be surprised if it's more than two years for him. Very talented kid, very very good. Uh, going to be an NFL player, uh, probably going to be a, a day one pick, day two, two pick in the NFL draft when he finally leaves. So, and Chartwine's got that kind of talent to work with. Now. He doesn't, you know, have. Uh, he doesn't have Boston College level guys now. He has Penn State level guys. And, you know, uh, Troutwine, also a guy who dreamed of going to Penn State, and now he's he's finally there. He wanted to offer uh, back in high school. Uh, I think it was interesting, too. One, one, so did Sharaka, I think. Yeah, yeah exactly. So did Sharaka. One, one final note on Troutwine, though. Uh, I thought it was interesting that he mentioned, you know, someone asked him about his career aspirations and what he wants to do. Um, and he said that, you know, maybe offensive coordinator someday, but he acknowledged that not a lot of offensive coordinators are offensive line coaches. So there's a chance that 
and, and he mentioned his love for coaching the offensive line as well. But there's a chance that this is another extended stay for Troutwine. Now, he's got the kind of upside as a coach that we're seeing. That yeah. I, I don't see that necessarily being the case. But as long as you can have him, I think you should cherish him because I, I fully expect him to be a, a home run hire uh, with the Nittany Lions. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll second that. I, I mean, I think Sharaka and, and Troutwine, uh, you know, Troutwine before I was like, ah, maybe that's a B plus, A minus hire. No, I, I, at this point, I know we're early, but hey, our job is to, to predict a little bit, to project a little That's bit. Right. And, and, I, I really like them both. I, I think uh, um, it, it's going to be, you know, home run for the both of them. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, that'll that'll do it for this week's episode, though, of course, of airing it out. Uh, you can find us, as always, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you want to read Josh and I's writing, you can subscribe to a sports pass from the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. Of course, follow us on Twitter at, at by Josh Moyer and at John Sauber. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.